0: This is the podcast for RUF at App State. Everyone is welcome and no one is unexpected. For more information, visit us at appstate.ruf.org. So my name is Rob Heron and I am a campus minister here with RUF App State. And we've been going through a series that we're calling Big Questions. And questions are fun and funny little things because they take your attention and they direct it toward something else. They interrupt you, they interrupt your life. And the big questions who am I? Who can I trust? How do I know anything is, is true? What is true? They interrupt your focus and they direct it toward what is most important. And what I'm suggesting is that when we direct our big questions toward the God of the Bible, we're invited into an adventure to seek and to find. And what we find is even better than the answers we want because we find him. So let's look at another big question tonight, focusing on this interaction Jesus has with a man in Luke 18. So this is Luke 18, 18 through 27. You can read with me. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone you know, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to to see clearly tonight. Help us to be honest, help us to ask good questions, to direct our hearts toward you as we ask them, and asking them toward you to find ourselves free, and we ask this in your name, amen. My son, Robert, is, is still going through the phase where he wants to be like me, at least in some way, so put on my bean boots or one of my many App State hats, and he'll march around saying, look at me, I'm daddy, because that's the way I talk, in his mind. That's pretty cool to him at this point but there definitely will come a time when i embarrass him when he will say don't look at me and please don't let me become like my dad but as hard as he tries as much as he tries to run screaming away from it he will in some sense over time adopt my mannerisms he'll sound more like me and probably to his horror look like me <laughs> because we cannot escape the inevitable that we will become like our parents are the people who have raised us. Of course, no, that doesn't mean that you will become your parents. You're, you're doomed or fated for that to happen in every single way. But the progressive insurance commercials, we can't stop you from becoming your parents, are kind of funny. They're commercial funny because they're pointing out something that we, we know is true, which is that you can't stop. As much as you run screaming away from it, you can't stop becoming like your parents Are the people who have raised you. There's a very similar relationship, the kind of child to parent relationship that we have with the old fashioned idea of goodness or what is good. In the ancient days, like 50 years ago, people were, I think, more comfortable with the idea that there were absolute things called good and bad. There was good and there was bad. And we have run in many ways screaming away from that toward a, a view of what is good that looks at it more as a matter of preference. What is good is what's good for you. And we look at the, the old ways of looking at good as some absolute thing. We think, ugh, that's moralism. It's obsession with being good and with standards. I don't want to be like that. And we think, thank goodness that we're not like that. But as much as we've tried to run screaming away from an obsession with goodness, we are I wanna argue just as moralistic, just as obsessed with being good, just as obsessed with standards of goodness as people have ever been. And I wanna explain what I mean by that, but I want you to, to at least see if what I'm saying is true, if we are just as obsessed with being good as people have ever been, we should ask, why? Why is that the case when we've tried so hard to get away from it? And that should lead us to the question, What is good? Which is our big question tonight. What is good? What is goodness? What does it mean to be good? And I want to look at this question and explore it as usual. It's such a big topic that I can't cover all of it, but look at this as a way of entering into the question. And I want to explore it from the Christian perspective by looking at two things from Luke 18, the need for goodness and the gift of goodness. So the need for goodness and the gift of goodness. First, first, Let's look at the need for goodness. And when I say good, what I'm talking about is is what is morally right? What is desirable? What is worthy of approval? The question, what is good, is at the center of Jesus' interaction with this person who's called a ruler. This, This ruler, when it says that, that doesn't mean that he is a lord or a king. It really would have meant that he was an elder of a synagogue, basically a church officer or leader. And we, this, this story is given in another account in the Bible where it describes him as a young man. So we know that he was a young ruler. And if, being a young ruler meant that this was an especially decent and respectable person. People would have looked at this guy and said, he is such a good dude. He is such a good person. He's good folk, and this good young man, he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question in verse 18. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's he asking there? This is a man who knew the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, so he knew that to inherit eternal life, to live in right relationship with God forever, meant and required that you would be approved of by God. And who does God approve of? Those who do what he requires. Those who pursue goodness, pursue what is what is right, what's desirable, what's worthy of being approved of. So that's what he's asking him. What good must I do? What, is it, what does it mean for me to be good? And what does Jesus say to him? What's interesting, I mean, from everything we know here, he's being sincere. There's no indication that he's being sarcastic with Jesus and trying to trick him. But Jesus, it's very interesting, he doesn't respond to him directly. Or immediately, instead in 19, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Is Jesus saying, hey, why are you calling me good? Because I'm not good. No, I think obviously not. There's an author named Jerem Barrs, and he points out there are really four questions loaded into this one question. He's asking, one, what do you mean by goodness? What does that mean? Two, if God alone is good, which this man would have agreed with, then what does that mean for ordinary people who aren't God and don't measure up? Three, if you really think I'm good, what do you think I am? What do you who do you think I am? So Jesus is kind of on the sly saying, if I'm good, that makes me God. But four, what about you? Jesus is saying to him. If God alone is good, what does that mean for you? Is it really possible for you to be good? And that's really the heart of what Jesus is pressing on, and he presses even further in 20. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He's laying out a sample of the Ten Commandments, this this path to goodness that God gave his people Israel in the Old Testament for what it meant to pursue the good. And what does the, the young man say to Jesus in 21? All these I have kept from my youth. And again, there's no indication he is being sarcastic. He's being sincere. He really can look at his life and say, I've lived a good life. I've never murdered anyone. I have not had sex outside of marriage. I've never stolen anything from anybody. I've not in a court of law testified falsely against someone. I'm really, I think I've pursued the good. I've done what's right, what's desirable, what God approves of. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus responds with a devastating challenge. Absolutely devastating. Because imagine imagine if he said this to you. Jesus heard this. He said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Take all that you have and sell it and give all the proceeds to the poor what's jesus saying here is he giving us some kind of checklist if you do this if you do these commands but then you do this last thing then you can inherit heaven eternal life or is he saying really okay if you want to be saved all you have to do is just sell all your stuff and give it away and then automatically god owes you his love and his approval no jesus has already said only god is good truly good He starts with that, but then he finishes with this devastating command to this man because he knows this man. And when the man walks away, we find out that he is extremely rich. He's not just kind of wealthy. He is wealthy, wealthy. Jesus knows how much this man's heart, his love is attached to his money, to his possessions. And Jesus is pressing on that. He knows that this man's goodness, his law keeping really is just a mask covering up the moral rot in his soul. All of that goodness, really, it's just been serving his own ego, earning him praise in front of other people. He's a respectable guy. And in his mind, earning him respect and praise before God while allowing him to keep the thing that he really loves more than God, more than his poor neighbor, he loves himself and he loves his comfort He loves his money, he loves his power, whatever goes, goes with the money. All of it is not really good. Bo Burnham is a, is a comedian and his special from 2020 called inside. He, he sings in a parody about healing the world with comedy. He wants to make this special in the movie because he really wants to, to bring healing to a really broken world. But he says, while still being paid and being the center of attention. This is our goodness, our style of goodness, without God, from God's perspective. It's all just posturing. It's all just presenting ourselves, all of our good works, to earn the praise of others, to earn the praise of even God himself, while still wanting to retain our comfort, still wanting to be praised for it. No good deed goes unposted. This is, in many ways, our version of goodness. And if we weren't obsessed with goodness, then why do we spend so much time hoping that people will see it when we think we're doing it? When we're part of the right cause, when we are giving our time away, why do we so desperately want people to see it? And when they don't see it, why does it make us angry? What does that say about us? We may not be explicitly asking the same question that the young man is, what must I do to inherit eternal life, but our hearts are crying out, what good must I do for it to be enough? What do I need to do for you to view me and to praise me as good. Again, we've gone running and screaming away from the, the, the old fashioned idea of what is good. And yet still we are obsessed with upholding a standard of goodness. And this leads in a lot of really ugly directions. It's a guy named Francis Lee. We can go to this next quote. And he wrote in an article called Excommunicated from the Church of Social Justice. He is an ex-Christian who's now involved in a lot of activism. And he he writes this about the experience of going from a very moralistic religious community into an activism-centered community. He says, when I was a Christian, all I could think about was being good, showing goodness, and proving to my parents and my spiritual leaders that I was on the right path to God. All the while, I believed I would never be good enough. So I had to strain for the rest of my life toward an impossible destination of perfection. I feel compelled to do the same things as an activist a decade later. I self-police what I say in activist spaces. I am always ready to apologize for anything I do that a community member deems wrong, oppressive, or inappropriate, no questions asked. The amount of energy I spend demonstrating purity in order to stay in the good graces of a fast-moving activist community is enormous what has our quest to be good without god done to us it has made us self-obsessed narcissistic bullies this is what it does to us and why is this the case why can't we go running screaming away from from goodness and actually get away from it why are we still obsessed with it It's because we were made to pursue the good, to live in the way God intends. And we can't get rid of our obsession with goodness because we need to be approved by God. But without God, our obsession with goodness becomes an obsession with me. That's what it has become. Patting myself on the back, all the while hoping that people will recognize me For my good works, all of my trophies laid out for the world to see, for God to see. Without God, our need for goodness, it leads us to judge others harshly because it makes us feel better if they have to live up to my standard. And we live in fear that the God of public moralistic opinion will crash down on you. Bad human, bad human. And it's all for nothing. Because the God who alone is truly good sees it and he's not impressed. In fact, he recoils from it. We need goodness because we need God. But without God, we have nothing, nothing. That's the first thing, the need. The second, the gift, the gift of goodness. Jesus watches this young man walk away sad, unwilling to give up his wealth, a thing that he truly loves over a God and neighbor. And Jesus asks this, or says this in 24, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus creates, paints this picture that's ridiculous of someone trying to shove an entire camel through the small opening of a tiny needle that's at at the top. This is how difficult it is for someone who is wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, which is to be approved by God and to live with Him forever. Is Jesus talking only about material wealth here? I think, no. Because the crowd then asked, then who can be saved? And if Jesus were just saying people who have a lot of money can't be saved, can't know God, then they wouldn't have to ask this question. Because the answer would be the poor. But but later on in the Bible, The author, Paul, says that if I give away all that I have and don't have love, I have nothing. The problem isn't with money by itself. It is with the heart. The problem is with with taking money and power and comfort and attaching our love to it. Because we end up believing that your money and all of your good works, all of your good deeds, we act like they make you rich and unneedy, spiritually rich. And this is a problem because if only God is good, then all of your self-styled, self-achieved goodness is for nothing. Goodness, if it truly comes from God, is only and ever for us a gift. Only and ever a gift that God alone can give. And so Jesus answers in 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. There's an old Simpsons episode where Homer, he reaches into a vending machine to get a Coke, but he's trying to steal it. So he reaches his hand all the way up to the machinery and he grabs a hold of a Coke can and he can't pull his arm out and he gets stuck. And all of his, his co-workers go over and they're watching him and they're giving him advice and he starts getting hungry. So he reaches his hand into another vending machine to grab a candy wrapper and that hand gets stuck. And the fire department shows up. And they tell him, I think we're going to have to cut off your arms. And in that moment, one of his friends says, Homer, are you just holding on to the Coke can? And he releases it and he easily slides his hands out. We pour so much energy trying to cling to goodness without God and trying to bring it down to own it for ourselves. And all we do is get more and more stuck. Because it's not yours to grab and to take for yourself. It's only an ever A gift. So what is the way to pursue goodness? To to own goodness? It's to let go. To let go, to release your grip on your own goodness and face the truth. Which is that you and I are not good. And we are desperately needy. We are desperately needy. But God... When we come to him with that desperate need, that impossible need, he does the impossible. He treats us as though we were entirely good. We will only receive this gift when we realize just how needy we are. Only when we let go and we come to God spiritually broken and poor, because then we will be honest. Because then we will be looking right in the direction of where goodness is. And where alone we can find it. Our pride says, I can be good without God, but the gospel of Jesus says you cannot. Our fear says, I must be good without God, but the gospel of Jesus says you must not. Because the gospel is the gift of God himself through Jesus. All of his goodness clothing you and freeing you from fear and from pride. This is the gospel. And when you have him, you have his goodness defining you, you don't you no longer have to quest after goodness. You no longer have to to seek it. You never you you no longer have to to seek after something that is, is better than God because you have the best thing himself. And this transformed our understanding of what it means to be good and what it means to pursue goodness. Because what does it mean? It means to pursue God, not to pursue goodness like it's some trophy that you can then earn and set before God in the world that can improve your status before him. Because you have him, you have his goodness. All of a sudden, what it means to pursue the good is to follow God in humility and gratitude, knowing that when you were poor, he made you rich. There's a movie called The Elephant Man, and it's about this British doctor played by Anthony Hopkins named Trees, and he finds a man named Joseph Merrick in a circus. And he was born with massive tumors all over his body, which is severely deformed. And Joseph Merrick has been basically enslaved in the circus and made into an awful exhibition where people come by and they scream in horror or they laugh at him intrigues this doctor he rescues him and he brings him back to, to his home at the hospital and he treats him with dignity and yet he puts joseph merrick the elephant man in front of these these medical courts where they observe him and then there's, there's finally a scene when he is he's restless at night he can't sleep because he begins to realize there's a lot of similarities between him and this awful circus master who had made Merrick into an awful exhibition. And as Teresa's wife comes down down the stairs in Anthony Hopkins, his character asks her, am I a good man or am I a bad man? And he can't get the answer. The gospel gives you the answer, which is that you and I are not good, but it also transforms the entire question. Because the question is not so much, am I good or am I bad? When our deepest need really tells us that we are like the man trapped in isolation, trapped believing that our ugliness is gonna lead us to be unloved forever until the one who is truly good comes to the prison to rescue and to make you lovely by his love. The question is not, the, the biggest question is not, what does it mean to be good or am I good? But is God good? And the answer is overwhelmingly yes. Because this is the God who sent the one who is truly good to the prison to treat the worst kind of people, you and me, like his sons and daughters, his own beloved. Not because you earned it, because he is that good. What is good? Who is good? Here you have the answer. Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for the good news of the gospel. That is that uh, for me, the chief of sinners, Jesus came to die, to enter the prison of our our sin and death itself and to rescue us, to unchain us uh, so that we would be clothed in his goodness, so that we would be treated as law keepers, as your beloved. I pray this truth would sink into us, and we would we would wonder, and even question: How could you? How are you this good? We ask this the name.